Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Earlier this year, we spoke to Sarah Powell and Pat Olson, who were organising the David Ruggles Prize. Now that's a new book collecting contest designed to encourage and support young collectors of colour. I'm happy to say that today we're joined by Ariana Valderrama, who won the $1,000 grand prize. Ariana was drawn into book collecting during the pandemic by rare editions of 20th century black women writers. She decided to focus on Toni Morrison, but not her rather expensive first editions. Instead, Ariana collects books Morrison edited and books where she provided a blurb. Welcome, Ariana. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. Congratulations. Well done. Um, thank you. So, <laughs> let's start at the, right at the beginning. Um, how did you begin book collecting? That's a great question. It feels so random and almost surreal to have won the Ruggles Prize. I'm very grateful. Um, it really began during the pandemic when we were all forced to stay inside and I couldn't even go to bookstores in person in DC. I started looking online and just looking at various books and looking at uh, backlist titles, you know, titles that were not published in the last few years, but older titles by Black women writers. And then I somehow kind of delved into this world of Black women writers and some classics from the 80s and the 90s and the 70s that weren't familiar with me, to me, excuse me. And from there, I learned a little bit about first editions and rare books because I would notice, oh, this copy of Sula is actually $400, $1,000 when, you know, I can get a $12 copy. Um, and so that I started to wonder why that was and doing research. And it really started um, because during the pandemic, I discovered Black Market Vintage. Uh, on Instagram, and they would do these weekly drops of some rare and vintage books and paraphernalia and other things, ephemera. And one day they did the Black Book, which was edited by Toni Morrison. And I had never heard of this. I think it was $200, maybe $300. And I thought, this sounds amazing. It's, it says it's a first edition. I know enough to know that's pretty cool. Let me just see if I can get it. And I bought it and I saw it in person and I realized I was holding a piece of history um, and that has since been reissued but at the time it, it hadn't been and I was so fascinated by the book and the fact that I really didn't know much about Toni Morrison's career as an editor and it wasn't that she she did edit the specific thing but she also had a career as an editor at Random House in general um, and so I started reading more and I was a little bit familiar from when she passed away in 2019. I had read a piece in Vanity Fair and The New Yorker about her time as an editor. So I wasn't totally shocked, but I had never thought what happened to the authors that she edited and the books that she edited. Nobody really talks about those. They just talk about how she's one of the great American novelists. I would say probably the great American novelist. Um, so I thought that this might be something fun to sort of get into during the pandemic. It was, I could do it all online, you know, do my research without having to go outside. And then as things started to open back up, we would travel locally um, just to anywhere we could get to by car as restrictions started to ease up. And I would realize that depending on where you were, you could find these, if not first editions, some rare copies of books 
um, both that she had edited and that other people had done. And I thought, maybe I should narrow this down. There seems to be a book collecting community. Um, and I'm really interested in learning more about this. So I'm going to be very specific and intentional and just see where it goes. Brilliant. Um, so perhaps we should point out to everyone that Toni Morrison worked for Random House as an editor in the 1960s. Yeah. Quite an important position as well. Right. And it's almost funny because she started in the scholastic edition, right, editing textbooks in the 60s. And then she eventually got moved into, I think they call it trade publishing. I'm not in publishing, so some of the terms are new to me as well. But she started publishing more general fiction or editing more general fiction after she published The Bluest Eye, actually. Um, but for you know the first few years, she was just editing textbooks and also writing The Bluest Eye at the same time, which is amazing to think about. Indeed. All right. So uh, can you give us um, an idea of what's actually in your collection? Absolutely. So it's funny because we're, we're moving. And so my collection is not with me, which has been very hard um, to not have them right in front of me and to you know look at them occasionally. But there's about 14 or 15 books in the collection that she has edited. And they're not all first editions, right? That can get really expensive. And the first priority for me was actually starting to just collect any edition of books that she edited because they were so hard to find and I wanted to read them. So for example, um, you know, I don't have a first edition of Angela Davis's autobiography, but there are several editions that have been published. And so I, you know, just kind of bought the first one that I found and I am saving up to one day buy a first edition of her autobiography, but those usually go for two or $3,000. Um, but I do have a few first editions that I really love. And it started with setting, I learned about a lot of used and rare bookstores will have a way where you can either talk to the owners directly or set up alerts online. Um, and DC, which is where I was at the time, actually has a pretty strong rare book world. And so I would just set up at my local bookstores, uh, Capitol Hill Books and Second Story Books and type Punch Matrix alerts for books that I found a list. There's an encyclopedia of Toni Morrison and they had a list of books that she had edited. And I set up alerts under the names of all of her authors. Um, so I was able that way to get a first edition of The Salt Eaters, which is by Tony Kane Bambara. Um, I was able to get The Seabirds Are Still Alive, which is also by her. Um, I also have Corregidora by Gail Jones, which was one of Toni Morrison's first books that she edited. Uh, it's not a first edition, but it is a copy. And there are a few other, you know, ones that got away that I'm still looking for. And I also started looking at very randomly books that she had blurbed. And that's much harder. There's no master list of books that she has praised, you know, in her career. But I found one randomly at a new bookstore. Um, it was for The Good Negress by A.J. Burdell. And coincidentally, she now has a book out about her relationship with Toni Morrison this year. And um, I bought it solely based off of Toni Morrison's blurb. There are not many blurbs that I would do that for, but I thought, okay, if the Toni Morrison is saying this is the book to read, I want to read it. And you know, it's new. And then I ended up finding a first edition also very randomly in Baltimore and bought that later. But that also, that is really the inspiration for why I decided to expand it to books that she had blurbed. And I have learned since that I want to narrow that even more to books by Black authors because she has blurbed a few books for white authors as well. And that's absolutely fine. But I know for me, my focus is more on Black literature. Right. How many, how many books did she edit while at Random House? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think so. There's a book that will be coming out next year about called Tony at Random by Professor Dana Williams that I'm very excited for because I think it's going to be give a better overarching view of her time as an editor. 
because it's I've seen ranges of she was an editor for 17 years to 19 years, um, but it's thought she didn't actually edit that many. She really focused on one book a season, as they say, and so there shouldn't be more than 20 books um, with the list that I have at least, and I want to cross-reference it with uh, Professor Williams's book once it comes out, but it wasn't an extensive amount because she wanted to really focus on one book at a time. Right. So I imagine there was not many black editors mm -hmm. at the major publishing houses during, at, during the 60s. So I'm thinking she must have had some impact here on black writing during those years. Do, do you agree? Absolutely. I agree. And that's why I really wanted to start collecting because I wanted to sort of, sort of trace her impact or at least see the writers that she believed in, you know, enough to fight for, because there really weren't that many, as you said, Black editors at the time. Um, not being a historian, I don't even know if there were others, but as far as I can tell, doing some research, people really credit Toni Morrison with setting a new standard for Black literature, both in her own writing and in the writers that she chose to champion. You know, Angela Davis talks about how no one was approaching her to write an autobiography, that she didn't even think she should write it. It was Toni who really pushed her and said, you have something to say in a very compelling story. So that kind of impact, I think also part of why we don't hear that much about her time as an editor is because a lot of her authors um, are underappreciated. You know, some of them have passed away, so we don't, they haven't talked about their time with her, such as Tony Cade. Some of them are just not, um, you know, Gail Jones is a little bit more reclusive. She's very private, so you, she doesn't talk about it. And then some of them are authors that we just didn't know about. And I don't think anyone ever thought to ask, what was it like being edited by Toni Morrison? Because at the time, they might not have thought Toni Morrison was going to be that big of a deal, right? So I'm really hoping that we get more scholarship into the impact that she had on Black literature. You know, these are just my thoughts, but I am not a full-time historian. I am, you know, very new to all of this. So for me, it's mostly speculation. But I think the first thing, the first impact that I immediately see is that she championed Black writers who would never have gotten a chance in traditional white mainstream publishing. You know, she really fought for radical Black texts to get published and authors who had not yet been published in America, like Chunua Achebe, um, you know, she did a contemporary African literature book that he was featured in that really introduced a lot of readers to his work. You know, that, that wouldn't have happened without her championing that. And I think her impact really can't be overstated. And it's something that enough people don't know about, even in the documentary about her life that I love, Pieces I Am, she's not asked about it too often and it's it's really a shame because i would have loved to see more interviews with her about her time as an editor yeah i'm i'm learning just just listening to you but but yeah i agree i mean her impact as, as a writer was so huge on a mm -hmm. global scale really that i guess people yeah. just don't look at that early part of her career right and i think so yeah. often people don't this is because I'm a truly a book nerd, but you don't think about the editors, right? You're not, most people are not paying any attention to who edits their favorite books. But as somebody who always reads the acknowledgement section of a book today, that is something that I that struck me as really interesting and very cool to start looking into. And I will say she's not thanked in that many of the books that I have, which is also, I think now it's more of a thing to thank your editor. So that also is what makes it hard to figure out, you know, who she edited and who she didn't. Yeah, I always read that section and the bibliography <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So in your collection, what's your most treasured book? 
Oh my gosh, that's impossible. I don't know how anyone picks. Um, I think if forced to decide, it would be a close tie between the Black Book because it was my first. It has it was what opened the door to this. I haven't even read it fully because it's so special to me. Um, and then I would also say The Salt Eaters by Toni Cake Bambara because the relationship she and, and Toni Morrison had is really special. And so when I think about that, it just adds meaning to the book because they were very close friends. They wrote very funny letters to each other. Um, I wish Toni Cake Bambara had an autobiography because I think she's so fascinating. Um, so I would say those are those are the two but the most random one that I'm probably proud of is also, you know, the good Negress because I got that for a steal and I truly don't think anybody was thinking about Toni Morrison writing blurbs and what that meant, but I'm sure that opens a lot of doors for people. Yeah. So if, uh, if money was no object, would you indeed collect Morrison first editions or signed copies, which yeah. are pretty expensive? They are. I absolutely would collect first editions, first copies. Sign doesn't matter to me as much if it's not personalized. Um, I do have, I should say, my fiance did give me a signed Toni Morrison for my birthday last year, one of her later ones, so not as much bring to the bank, but still very special to me. Okay. Um, so there's probably three or four of Toni's later books that I do own, um, but I do, I think, Yes, like I would absolutely love to have a first edition Bluest Eye or a first edition Beloved. <laughs> yes, that would indeed be a, a treasure. Right. Um, okay, well, you're just starting out and going, doing very well for a, a book collector. Um, so what are your ambitions? Where would you like to take your collection? Um, would you like to expand into other areas or other authors or other themes? It's mm -hmm. a great question. I think what I really appreciate about the Ruggles Prize is that I have been introduced to this world of book collecting, to the actual collectors. It was a little bit lonely just looking on A Books and Biblio, you know, on my own. And you're not talking to anyone. You're just sort of learning as you go. I would check out books from the library about how to collect books just so I knew what some of the terminology means, but I'm still learning. So it's been really nice talking to the other prize winners. Um, and meeting folks who have reached out very nicely after I won the prize to say, if you have any questions, I'm here. Um, because I didn't have any grand ambitions. I really just thought I want to do this. I'd love to, you know, if I pass away, donate my little collection to a university or something, a library, but that's as far as I had gone because I didn't think it would really mean much to anyone except academics. And I should have realized, you know, most people, especially Black women, love Toni Morrison. And so I really think there could be more done with this collection. I would love, now that I've talked to a few people, I would love to see somebody put on some kind of presentation about her time as an editor. I'm really hoping that this future book also sheds some light and um, renews interest in her career. And I think that you know, the dream now is maybe I go to Princeton where her papers are and I see what else is there. and get some other ideas or some insight into how she thought about the books that she edited. And that is not something I would have thought about, you know, two or three months ago, even that, that now that I've talked to enough folks about the prize, realizing that this is a bit of an academic exercise almost. And even though I am not a scholar by any means, there are things that 
I am interested in that fall into the Rebel Scholarship about this collection. So I would love to travel a little bit more and see some of her um, papers up close and also explore more bookstores around the country that might have some of her works. So is it, does it feel reassuring to know there are other young collectors similar to yourself out there? It does, and I think especially other collectors of color. I knew that there were white collectors. I mean, there are a lot of white men who are out here collecting. There are a lot of white women who are collecting. What was helpful with seeing between this and the Honey and Wax winners um, is that there are young people collecting. The New York Times also did a really good piece about young book collectors that I found very inspiring. And there are young collectors of color slowly but surely getting attention. I think they've probably always existed. They just didn't get much attention. And so I would love to see that community be built up and more online. Um, the world of book collecting in general feels very based in the UK, very New York based and seeing that really expand to other cities would be interesting as well to build those those forms of community. And I would absolutely be very, very interested to see what happens as more collectors of color grow their collections and what kind of books become prized. Not that I want the books I'm looking for to become expensive, but it does it does do something when a first edition of your book you know, is worth a thousand dollars or something like that. And right. too often black authors, Latino authors, indigenous authors, et cetera, their books are not being valued at that. And I think that's a mistake. So I am very interested to see what happens as the collecting, the book collecting world becomes more inclusive. Yeah. So you're not in the worst part of the world for, for booksellers and bookstores. Um, no. You, you mentioned three very good ones at the start. Yes, I am. I've left now left DC and I was very sad in part because of the bookstores that we have. Capitol Hill Books and Second Story are great. Type Punch Matrix, I never visited in person, but they were so helpful. They gave me a list of books to start with, actually, just for doing research when I said, this is what I'm interested in, book collecting in general, not Toni Morrison specifically. And then they actually will periodically reach out uh, with think titles that they think I'm interested in, which is incredible. Wow. Well, it's very exciting listening to everything you've, you've been describing. Um, so how long has, has this, this journey been? Has it been at two, sounds like two, two, three years? Mm -hmm. Two, two or three years. The pandemic, you know, March 2020, I think I probably bought the Black Book in May. Yeah, April, right in the heart of stay at home orders, honestly. Um, Instagram is a very dangerous thing when you have nothing to do. So a lot of shopping. It was just book <laughs> shopping that I was doing, not clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. Well, it, um, the only one thing you can do is to carry on and, and see where you end up. Um, so the, the final question, which we ask all our guests, is um, what book or books are you currently reading? It's a great question. So one book that I just finished that I want everyone to read is The Stories from the Tenants Downstairs. I love short stories, which I think is a bit of an unpopular opinion, but these are absolutely phenomenal. Um, they're about tenants, based on the title, in a New York building, apartment building, set in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. But it's each short story sticks with you. It just put me through the apps, every range of emotions, and it's just incredible. And I hope it gets all of the praise at the end of the year. It just came out last month. Um, I am currently reading 
The Man Who Could Move Clouds, which just received a National Book Award uh, shortlist nomination for nonfiction. And that I had always planned to read it, but that sped it up a little bit on my list. And then I'm going to start reading Divine Days uh, by Leon Forrest, who Toni Morrison edited. She did not edit this one, but I wanted to read it. And I'm actually now in Chicago and Leon Forrest is from there. And I could not find any of his books in DC, but because I'm now in Chicago, many, not many, a few libraries do have his books. So I'm really excited to dive into Divine Days because it is impossible to find. Brilliant. All right. Uh, that's all uh, we have time for today. Thank you to book collector Oriana Valderrama for joining us today. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me. This was great. And I am so excited to continue listening to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Oriana is the inaugural winner of the Ruggles Book Collecting Prize. And you can learn more about the prize at rugglesprize.org. Rugglesprize.org. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis. And you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast and we'll see you all again soon.